Hey, welcome to the Sanctuary Church podcast. Sanctuary Church is a family following the path of Jesus together in Providence, Rhode Island. If you'd like to learn more about our community, you can visit our website at sanctuaryri.org or check us out on social media. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope you are encouraged by today's teaching. Um, I want to say something, because if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're here and you're already a little thrown by, like, what was that lost language that, you know, Pastor Sarah just mentioned down front here? And what was the, the lost language that keeps getting tossed around? Um, I, I want to just state, hopefully, what is the obvious to some, but I've come to realize is not obvious to many. And, and, and it's simply this. Everyone follows something. Or everyone follows, you could say it's someone. Put another way, we are all disciples. The question is not, are you a disciple? It's who you are a disciple, or another language, an apprentice of. I know that is a bit unpopular to say in our cultural moment, right? We want to be leaders, not followers. We want to be unique, not like everyone else. We want so badly to believe that we are in control of our own destiny, I mean, it takes a philosophy 101 class to just begin to, like, take a swing at that. But it's really, really important, really important that we grab this and understand this. The truth is we all follow. And by all, I mean by that is we aim our attention, we aim our mind and our affections, the affections of our heart, we aim them at someone or something that we think or we believe will make us happy and will bring us peace. And whatever you aim the trajectory of your life at, that will determine who you become for better or worse. This is not a Christian thing. This is a human thing. And so myself, along with most of you, um, uh, our, uh, our folks who have decided to follow or apprentice after Jesus. We found this Jesus of Nazareth to be the way, the greatest way and the truth and, and the life. And so to follow Jesus, which is what we're here trying to do, is to be his disciple or as Dallas Willard says, to apprentice under him. Or as we say at Sanctuary, to follow his path. We are becoming a family, we talk about, that follows the path of Jesus. And by that, I mean we are inviting each other to journey in four distinct directions. These aren't small things. It wasn't a goofy reason that I got them tattooed on my arm, even, these four directions. I'm like, I want this to be the entire trajectory of my life. If I'm on a path, which we all are, I want to be going in these four directions. I want to learn to be with Jesus, journeying upward. Learning to become like him and be made whole by him, journeying inward. I want to journey outward on the path of life, knowing that following what Jesus actually did and moving at his pace of love is the best possible way to live. And with we're doing that in community. It means following what he called the way. There are all sorts of ways. It means slowing our life down again to his pace, to the pace of love. And so today, on this day that we like just created this whole like little goofy welcome to alpha moment, it's because like we want to emphasize that outward direction. 
And I want to drill down for a moment for us to give us some clarity on this. To talk about what it means to follow the mission of God. Jesus came and he, he says this, our passage for today. The kingdom of God has drawn near. The kingdom of God has drawn near. You could think of kingdom the way we kind of talk about it, easy way to grab it if this is new language, foreign language to you, is think of the word kingdom, the dome where God is king. The dome in which God is king. All right, this is the place where things are as they should be. And he says, if you look at me and look at my life and look at my way, this is the life of heaven here and now. This is the way things are meant to be. And in a broken and jacked up world where God, the God of love, had to allow us choice. And so these choices have ruined and soiled so much of the world. The Bible is actually really honest about the brokenness of creation, how we are all culpable in that. And he says, actually, God has drawn near to show us and renew and redeem all things through the way of love, not through the way of power. Through the way of laying down your life, not through the way of powering up. That's why the cross is the central image. And so the kingdom of God is moving through four layers of society. And we're going to focus here on three. This is how we think about the outward direction. Spiritually, socially, and culturally. And we just got through Christmas time. Remember the song, Joy to the World. I love the line, as far as the curse is found. Remember that line? Far as the curse is found, right? That's how far redemption goes in the scriptures. Some of us, if you've grown up around church, you only got like one slice of what the mission of God was like. You may have grown up in a church that only focused on social justice. You may have grown up in a church that only focused on like cultural engagement. Or you may have focused in a church that only focused on like healing the lost. All three of these things are a part of the kingdom of God. That's how far, though, redemption goes. And so we're going to begin with the spiritual because what Alpha in large part is about is helping us as followers of Jesus own the wreckage and brokenness in our own life and the life of others and seeing ourselves as people who are found. The scriptures talk about people as people who are dead to sin, dead in sin. The scripture talks about a world that's distorted and broken and fractured. Does this ring true to anybody? Everyone on the same page, right? That's kind of a joke. Things aren't great, right? Like we see it. Even if you're like a high point in your life right now, we look around and see the wreckage of our own decisions, the propensities and bents in our own heart and the hearts of those around us. We recognize the brokenness inside us. We recognize that culture, the culture that we make, right, the things that we build is fundamentally riddled with idolatry, right? Google is great in some ways, this beautiful culture-making thing, and riddled with brokenness. Meta, right? The nature of the algorithm, the things that we built in healthcare and the systems that we built, right? We could sit here and go, man, what an incredible country to live in. And there are so many good things about the culture of the United States, right? We can all say that, right? We can say that. And then we can also go over here and go, yeah, fundamentally built on like the, the bedrock of like chattel slavery in the South. Right, we, we experience the brokenness and the culture even that we create and the way it's riddled with idolatry and the beauty and goodness that we see emerge and the ache 
And so the kingdom of God, the way of Jesus, the mission of God is moving through all of these spaces. So to follow Jesus then is to care about culture and care about injustice and care about the lost. And this phrase, the lost, I wanna zero in on this phrase for a minute, or this word. Sarah mentioned it, Emily mentioned it. Jesus says, I've come to seek and save the lost. I'm sure some of us have mixed feelings about Jesus using this words. Anybody? A little bit like, okay. Maybe it's even a little offensive to you. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, I think I might be in that category according to these people. Anybody? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> you're like, that's me. I hate it here. <clears throat> Can I just offer a little perspective on this word? The more I think about Jesus calling some people lost, the more I have grown to love it. I was in that camp, man. I hated using that word. Hated it. What Jesus is doing is actually quite honoring. He assumes, by using that word, I believe he's assuming the best about it, people. Think about it. Lost people aren't immoral. Lost people aren't bad. Lost people aren't unintelligent. Everybody gets lost at some point, right? Right? Like Mandy's probably going to get lost as she goes down the aisle right now. Like, right? We all get lost at some point. Most people I run into are searching for the right path to the right destination. It makes sense that Jesus would call people who had yet to find this way of life lost, right? Jesus himself said that he came, again, to seek and to save, to open a door, to spread out the welcome mat for people to his father's house. I've come to welcome people and help people find their way home. The other day, um, Corey ran out for, I believe it was to the grocery store, and I realized about 10 minutes after she had left that she had left her phone there. Uh, And I happened to be texting a mutual friend of Corey and I's, um, about something unrelated, and uh, she was asked, I don't remember what, how, why she asked, us like, how is Corey doing or something like that? And I said, oh, you know what? I don't, uh, she doesn't have her phone on her right now. I, I don't actually know how she's, she's doing. And this person, like me, knew Corey well enough to know, oh my gosh, I hope she makes it to where she's going, and even more so, I hope she makes it home. Anybody else the sort of person that even if you're going down the street, you put it in the GPS? Y'all aren't going to do well when the grid goes down. <laughs> I don't know why everyone's talking about that right now. That and ice baths, man. Here for it. I'm going to be in that ice bath when the grid goes down. Right? Like she gets lost almost every time. Well, she doesn't get lost because she has her GPS. But to, without that, there was serious worry. Lost people rarely want to be lost. Most lost people I run into are, again, are searching for the right path and the right destination. And so Jesus is saying, I have come to do this, and he is welcoming everybody to do that with him. How does he help people? Well, he saw people. He stopped his life, and then approaching them with hospitality in his heart, welcomed them in. Mostly, it says in the scriptures, by eating and drinking one meal at a time with them, inviting them to the table, creating space to hear their questions. A lot of times, he doesn't even respond back with like an answer. We get in our head sometimes, Jesus just is this like sage just goes around telling people what to do. A lot of times he's inviting them into the story and actually doesn't give them some sort of black and white clear response. He tells them a story. The kingdom of God's kind of like this. Imagine running away from your good dad at home and your good parents at home. 
wishing them dead, asking for their inheritance ahead of time, going out into the world, squandering everything, coming home begging on your hands and knees after you've jacked up your whole life, ready to be like, you know, ostracized or not welcomed home. And then imagine being not just welcomed home, not just, oh, buddy, let's help you get back on your feet, but having dad, mom throw a feast, put a jacket on you and celebrating and throwing an epic party of joy because you're home. This, these are the kinds of stories that Jesus tells as he invites his disciples, his apprentices then and now to join in the mission of God of helping lost people be found. And I'm convinced there is a deep ache in our world for spaces like Alpha and like your dinner table. Create spaces where people slow down and experience the kindness of God by being seen and approached and welcomed in. When the Pharisees were like, why does your teacher eat with sinners? Like, what is he doing? Jesus' answer is again and again, I haven't called the righteous. I haven't called the righteous. I haven't called those to turn back. I haven't come for the healthy. I've come for the sick. I've come for the lost. Right? Sick is another honoring word. I've come for those that do not realize the state of their condition and the state of their heart. So we've got to realize the the priority of heaven, the priority of God in reaching people who are spiritually lost. As much as we want it to be, Jesus didn't show up and high five people and tell them you're good. I know we want that kind of Jesus, some of us. Or we have like sort of in our mind believe that's what he's like. There was no, yeah, church sucks. You're good though. Just come and follow him on your own. Let me point you to some great Instagram like accounts. That's not it. You can do that. It's just literally not the way of Jesus. Jesus didn't show up and do that. When Jesus talked about the human heart, he said, out of the heart comes immorality and out of the heart comes violence and out of the heart comes evil. Jesus came to transform people, which is why his message was what? You must be born again. We've gotten so used to that language. It's wild and weird and strange and radical. Be born again. You've been born once. I want to have you be born into a new family that you may become more holy the person I created you to be. So we've got to care, hear this, about people meeting Jesus. Fleming Rutledge says this. She says, quote, short-term evasions are long-range cruelties. Short-term evasions are long-range cruelties. In other words, it's like I couldn't remember the comedian's name. I didn't have a chance to look this up. I thought of this this morning. The comedian who talks about, look, Christians, if y'all think I'm on the wrong path and leading towards like brokenness and evil and hell, I'm actually really ticked off at you if you don't come and tell me about Jesus. He was not a follower of Jesus. He's simply saying, if you believe that, what on earth is causing you some sort of sheepy shyness? You clearly don't love me and don't care enough about me that you don't talk to me about the way of Jesus. You are scared that I'm gonna think you're weird and you think I'm gonna like enter into the brokenness and, and, and evil of the world and enter into like such lostness and you won't say anything? This is what Fleming Rutledge is saying. Short-term evasions our long-range cruelties and our desire to be liked by not telling people the truth of their condition, you're being cruel to them in the long term. It's cruel not to demonstrate and announce the way of Jesus. It's cruel, right, to not lean into your faith 
to lean on political power instead of the power of the kingdom. It's cruel to power up instead of lay down your life. We often feel fear about this, right? Which is funny because everybody, by the way, is telling people about what they believe is true. Everyone's proselytizing. Everyone's evangelizing. You shouldn't evangelize Christians. You shouldn't proselytize. I just want to say really clearly, hopefully this helps, I fundamentally reject that. Fundamentally. Can we be done with that season of our, of like, of our world? Like it's just silly. Everyone is trying to do this in some way. Everybody's trying to get people to believe things. Think of marketing. People trying to own mind space. Alexa and Siri are always listening so you can be convinced to care about the stuff that they care about. Right? Stuff you don't need. <laughs> There's a gospel of fashion. There's a gospel of finance. There's a gospel of the American dream. Everyone's trying to convert everybody to a way of thinking about fill in the blank. I reject the idea that Christians should stay silent and not put forth their worldview. Especially when part of our worldview is to love you even if you want nothing to do with us. Especially when our worldview is like, go ahead and throw a fist, man. I'm gonna take, like, turn my cheek to the other side. Right? Man, our worldview is like the most pushy, non-pushy worldview you could have. Hey, I'm telling you, man, like I'm just a beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Oh, you don't wanna call yourself a beggar? I get it, it's kind of offensive. All right, it's hard, you're not ready for that. Either way, man, in your corner, love you. Everything in my life is gonna be bent towards serving and blessing you. Why are we sheepish about this? I'm talking to myself as much as I'm talking to you. As the scriptures say, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give a reason for the hope you have in you, it says in 1 Peter. And do this with what? Just like Trump. No. Do this with gentleness and respect. The way we do this matters. The medium is the message. The way we do this matters. Lest you think that was some weird political dig or something strange, it was. Um, to do this with gentleness and respect, we as followers of Jesus are called to align ourselves with this way and be bold, be bold and being people of this love. When our Savior, who we are called to apprentice after, is weeping after the lost and weeping for the lost, man, we must too, if we are interested in becoming followers of Jesus. We may not be. It may be a really hard place for us, but the invitation is to follow him and do what he does, and he weeps for the lost and the hurting. Secondly, we have to care about issues of justice in our world. When you study the Bible and when you shrink back from all of the cultural controversies and all of the right and left, it seems pretty clear what Jesus is doing is fixing the world. Where it's broken, he heals it. This is why the hymn writer wrote, as far as the curse is found. Where there's evil, Jesus what? Confronts it. I don't know why this has gotten controversial, but apparently it has. One of the great themes that's been popping up again and again, and we talked about this last week around Isaiah 58, the fast, the kind of spirituality that God seeks is having a heart to care about the world around us. This is the fast God seeks is having a heart to care about the brokenness in our world. If you study what the kingdom of God is, you won't have a problem with justice. You'll seek it first. 
He'll seek it first. Now, part of the problem is one side of the political aisle, just like the other side, have weaponized this issue of social justice. And it's untethered. We've used this phrase from Mark Sayers. They want the kingdom without the king. And so they're pursuing justice in a way that lends itself to something that is all riddled with all sorts of idolatry and brokenness and evil. And both sides fall prey to this. May we have, I, I could just, we can can the social justice word now because it's gotten so marred, just like we can can the evangelical word at this point. Let's say biblical justice. Biblical justice, rooted in the scriptures, what does it mean? What does it mean to be followers of Jesus, apprentices of Jesus? Sometimes words that were really helpful for a while lose um, their effectiveness in helping people get at who we really are. And we are people of the scriptures, amen? The kingdom of God the way of God, the way of Jesus is not get your dream job, get married, have some good sex, get enough money, have a couple great vacations, maybe a second house. Like, I, I, this is not the kingdom of God. It's not wrong. It's just not the point. It's insufficient. The American dream for all the great things that it's opened up for many people is insufficient. The way of Jesus is bigger than that. It takes into consideration those far from God under the tyranny of evil, suffering because of the systems of our culture and world, and it seeks to get into it and to confront it and even to change it and to join God in it, and it does it on God's timeline. And that's key, joining God in the renewal of all things, not taking the wheel from him. And then lastly, one of the things is we need to be people who make godly culture with our lives. This third one. You have a job where you are working like 40, 50, 60 hours a week surrounded by these lost people. <laughs> you need a vision of how to live distinctly among them to, to be able to make apprentices for the kingdom of God. The kingdom includes the culture that we create. I don't have time to get into all the theology around this, but the cultural mandate, right, is found in the beginning of the scriptures. We're called to have dominion, an image bearer to have dominion. Don't freak out over the word dominion. Everyone wants dominion. Google has dominion. <laughs> Everyone wants more dominion. It basically means our ability, hear this, to take the raw resources of creation and do something beautiful for the flourishing of others. A baker can be contributing or not contributing to the creation of culture by providing food. The truck driver that drives that bread to the supermarket, you're creating culture and systems that can be redemptive or can be broken. Insurance, you read the like, backdrop at the beginning of the insurance story in our country has beauty to it in helping provide for people. And then we also see the way it is riddled with brokenness in our day and age, right? We can create culture. I have an advertising and marketing We've talked a lot about this in like our work and faith tables, the way people um, take something like their job of, put, of like helping people want to buy certain products and expanding good vision for culture and saying, I'm not going to support or do that, but I will do this. Having a vision, determining their ethics in advance. Our ability to take the raw resources of creation and do something beautiful with it. This is literally the command in Genesis 1. And so every job, every job can be done and move toward beauty or brokenness, sin or righteousness. Wall Street can be a just distribution of entrepreneurial effort or it can be capitalistic greed, right? Right? It's important to understand this. 
So one of the big ideas that I love to talk about in our church is this idea called the redemptive edge. The redemptive edge. Um, and this, uh, in part, from my friend Josh Staten. I want to just give credit to that, um, who's now in Portland now. And um, Church of the City in New York, John Tyson, kind of helped with this grid, but this is sort of my take on it. So on one end, you have comfort, and on the other end, you have uh, darkness. And think of this as like a continuum of mission, basically a continuum of mission. One side, comfort, and on the other side, complete and utter pagan darkness. And what happens is that we are creatures of comfort. We're creatures of comfort, right? In general. Some of you I know have like a martyr complex, but for the most of us, Right? By the way, Christians love going to churches that make them feel comfortable. They love it. Comfort is a really good growth strategy. Whenever you move out of comfort, people particularly, when you talk about like the Sermon on the Mount, or me just even mentioning the T word that I mentioned a few minutes ago, or even touching on politics, even though the gospel is implicitly political, right? Not telling anyone who to vote for, but we're addressing the fact of how Christians are aligning with this. Even just a little bit of talking about the Sermon on the Mount, where you have love your enemies and turn the other cheek. Or you have these things about God's kingship and all this stuff. We, we get really uncomfortable. People start getting a little concerned. I don't know if you saw this going around. This is like everywhere. One writer talked about how he did an experiment and asked a bunch of teachers in particular settings within the church to simply read the Sermon on the Mount and ask people their thoughts on it with no context. Most of them thought it was socialist, like some sort of socialist agenda. Reading Jesus' words in Matthew 5, right? We realize how much that tribalism has gotten into our world. We get a, people get a little concerned if we start talking a little bit too much about the things we find there. When we move beyond comfort... And you, you start to hear things like, I, I like you guys, I like sanctuary, but I have a few areas of concern. And if you move beyond concern, people will be like, whoa, 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 like slow it down. I have a lot of caution about what's happening like in your life. And then if you move beyond caution, you're gonna get to the point where people criticize you. Like it's too much honesty. Like that's just a little bit too extreme. Like I, I, I never heard this in a church before. Like this is a little bit too much. I've been accused of that a few hundred times. You know what? That's unsustainable. We thankfully never had board or elders or leaders ever say that. Hey, Andrew, if you teach like that, man, tithing's gonna go down. Thank God we've never had that in our church. It's unsustainable. Now, next slide. I wanna just say, this right here then is where Jesus' ministry happened. This is called the redemptive edge. It happens between the place where he was criticized and what the Jewish community called darkness. And the next slide here, I want to show you this. Um, here, there are just a few themes from Jesus' ministry right on this edge. He was criticized for eating with sinners. He was criticized for the time he spent with women. He was criticized for how he responded to the Pharisees holding these different traditions. He was criticized by his choice of disciples, right, who he actually led into his inner circle. He was criticized for the cost of discipleship he asked of people. And he was criticized for his outsider inclusion as a part of the vision of the kingdom of God. But then it gets worse. Next slide. Jesus is hanging out in darkness. Jesus goes to Samaria, the place where the Jewish community completely avoided. Jesus goes to the Decapolis, the other side of the lake. That's the place where all the pagans were. That's the demoniac story if you know your Bible. Jesus is resurrected, walking away with people who are walking away from him. People deconstructing, denying their faith in Jesus. 
that he's just like walking with them as they're doing this. He's like, hey, where are we going? It's amazing. Jesus gives us the great commission, which is to go not just out into like the Jerusalem, the safe area, but out to the, quote, ends of the earth. And then in the book of Acts, where they're getting further and further away from the safety of this shared Jewish context, out into like, like areas that they had never, ever, ever been. And ultimately, church history and the life of the apostles, they take the gospel as far away from the place they started as they can. As Peter, that fisherman, being crucified upside down in Rome was like, dang, I think it's the end of the earth. Right? This, is, this was, this was a, an extreme, extreme call to go out into the whole world. Next slide. This is the American church's location. It's just like you're comfortable, and then there's a sermon that pushes you a little bit. Not so much that, you know, you go to another church or stop giving, you know, just a little bit. This is what Leslie Newbegin says. He says, the deepest desire for mission is simply a desire to be with Jesus where he is on the frontier between the reign of God and the usurped dominion of the devil. The deepest desire is to be with Jesus on mission. That's because this is where Jesus is in the world. Leslie Newbegin in that quote goes on to talk about that's where all the joy is. Joining God in the renewal of all things. So next slide. Between these two things, you've got a big gap between what people want in the church and what following Jesus is actually like. And here's what we're trying to do. Can you guess? Close the gap. Let's close the gap. We're trying to push people bit by bit to join Jesus where he is on the redemptive edge. I don't want to do it out of shame or guilt. I don't want to push people further than they have the maturity to go. But I want to see people. Our elders want to see people. Our staff, our leaders, many of the people you're sitting next to want to see each of us move deeper in that direction. So the best way our church tries to describe this outward direction and mission is this. Next slide. We believe that Jesus is God in human form and that the church is God's ongoing presence in the world. Led by the Spirit of God, we're passionate about relieving suffering and fighting injustice, joining the God of the oppressed and living out the transforming message of the resurrected Jesus. Jesus calls his church to be a compelling force of good in the world, and we believe the church is at its best when it serves, sacrifices, and loves, caring about the things that God cares about. We were created to live for something larger than ourselves. Can I get it? Amen. Amen. You know, you could be in church your whole life and never do anything that Jesus taught. Good, super possible. <laughs> you can be in a group and not love. You can be in service like this and not really worship. You can serve the poor and not really care and not serve the poor in the way God's calling you to. It's amazing how you can be so involved in everything but never actually do the Jesus stuff with the Jesus heart. I want to do the Jesus stuff. Cool? That's my sermon. <laughs> I want to see the power of God happen in public places. I want to see outsiders find hope and belonging. I want to do the Jesus stuff. Spiritual, caring about the lost. Social, caring about the things of justice in our world. Cultural, caring about our vocation and creating culture. And so the heart, to close with this, 
The heart of this outward direction is in 1 John 2.6. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And so the final week of Jesus' life, when he is gathering his apprentices, when all of these gospel accounts in the Bible kind of slow down and get really detailed, Jesus is at the final meal. The night before he's going to give his life, he looks around the room and he sees proud hearts. And he goes up and he puts on a slave's apron. He picks up a bucket and fills it with water. And when he does this, everybody is a little freaked out. They're like, no, 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 no. No. I was trying to come up with a scenario, like what would this be like? Like, like whoever you revere, some like, you know, uh, political figure or celebrity or writer or artist, like somebody is who's like way above everybody. Oh, just like Fred Rogers comes to your house. <laughs> I went Fred Rogers. And he just says, hey, can I uh, come over and wash your toilets? It's like that, but like way lower than that. <laughs> it's like you need to understand who this is. This is the Christian story. Believe it or not, This is the story we are telling ourselves about the nature of reality. The God of the universe coming, putting on a slave apron before he's about to die at the hands of humanity of which we are all culpable of and says, let me get those feet. The light of the world, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end stoops down and does something that is reserved for the lowest of the low in his society. He sees a need and an opportunity to reveal who he was. It wasn't about the feet. He's like, how am I going to get this jacked up crew of people to really get what's about to happen? And Jesus is like, your feet are dirty. I can get that. Jesus loved them to the end by doing something that everyone else thought was too low and too embarrassing to be done. The greatest is the one who will be a servant. That wasn't Martin Luther King Jr., though he said that a lot. He was quoting Jesus in this exact scene. Jesus, the Son of God, knelt down and washed feet. Something I'm trying to train myself to do, and that is whenever I see a need that I can meet, I try to ask myself, God, is this an assignment that you have for me to do? That's sort of a basic invitation this week. I want to invite you to that, to wake up every day and just say, God, give me eyes to see the needs around me. Give me eyes to see the people around me that are hurting. Give me ears to hear those who are hurting. Give me a heart to care. God, if there's a need that I can meet, cause me to pause and stop and say, God, is that an assignment that you have for me to meet? Here's what I found. When I believe it, like, when I believe it's really something God wants me to do, it's those times when I feel like it's most beneath me. Those are the moments that God has been calling me to serve others. God changes lives, and the first life that he changes in all of this is yours. See, mission is also a crucible for your own growth. Mission will do wonders for your pain. Serving others will do wonders for your anxiety. Moving towards others will do wonders for your perspective about your money and your bank account. Serving others will do wonders about wondering what your purpose and mission are day over day. Why? Because just at a base level, it is 
how we were created to live. In this passage, we read, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Serving is not just what we do. A servant, if we are followers of Jesus, is who we are. You get to have the thrill of being used by God. If you are so inclined to believe that. When you go to bed at the end of the day and you look back and you say, you know what? Man, God used me today. It's in the sacredness of tending to the children. It's in the small moments of seeing your neighbor. It's in the resolve to slow your life down so you can actually see people around you. When we spend our days on ourselves, we experience emptiness. When you invest in the life of others, you experience that greatness that he talks about. And in this season of first seek that we're in right now, it's three weeks of prayer and fasting. We're inviting you to fast for the lost. To fast. And as you pray for them, the scriptures say, God desires everyone to come to know him. And so as followers of Christ, it's a mystery. That's a mystery, but we join with him in praying and saying, God, these people, I lay them before you, Lord. I know you don't force yourself onto anyone, Lord, but would you draw them near? And oftentimes what happens when we do that we ask the Father to draw them to Jesus, usually what happens is this in 2 Corinthians 5. It says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Hear this. And he's committed to us, to you, to me, the message of reconciliation. We are, if you're a follower of Jesus, therefore, you ready? Christ's ambassadors, as though... God, we're making his appeal through you. This often is what will happen. As you begin to fast, and we're gonna invite you on Tuesday to do this, to refrain from eating, to take that time to go, Lord, what does it mean to be a servant? How are you inviting me to join you in the renewal of all things? And to take those three people that you have written down, hopefully, or one, or whatever it is, or 10, <laughs> written down on that piece of paper, and as you begin to just pray for them, to listen and say, God, are you inviting me into this story? Where are you inviting me into this story? Where are you looking to make your appeal through me? He is making his appeal through you spiritually, caring for the lost. He's making his appeal through you socially, caring about the injustice around you. And he's making his appeal through you culturally, creating a culture and a workplace and a family and goods and services that reflect the love of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask, would you come? And as we close our time, Lord, would you just, um, just do your thing. I never know what else to pray, Lord. Just do your thing. For those of us here, Lord, you are just, it was like good to be reminded this morning 
like everyone's following away. And yeah, I've chosen this way. And man, I don't lean into this outwards direction. I don't, I don't, I have no room in my life to even think really about others. It's all just reactionary. But man, I want to grow in love and I want to grow in mercy. I want to grow in people who are submitted to the king to see change happen. Not to the just broken systems of our world. Holy Spirit. Or would you just shake us in all the best ways? That this moment, this simple little moment, would be a turning point. And that those people that we've written down, those names we've written down, that you would just like move us to weeping for them, to like feeling for them, to do whatever you want, Lord. Someone in my life that you've been bringing up as I teach, I just thank you. Like I feel my heart actually breaking for them. So I invite you to just take a minute, sit with this before our final invitation this morning.